So Rob, we're, we're, we're living in a society now where genetic modalities are being utilized in so many ways, whether it's genetic testing like PCR, whether it's genetic injections like some of the things now being called vaccines, uh, to gene sequence sampling of the general population that we now is going on. And so I think it's important that... that disease people, confirmation, another one? Oh, disease confirmation, yes, yes. Uh, in the absence of, of good clinical mm -hmm. diagnosis anymore, which is mm -hmm. a concern. But in the... So most of us in society are thinking walking around with a very basic understanding of genetics where we think of, you know, well, the genes are the blueprints of your body. So your, your genes are red and that's basically what you are. And it's not that simple, is it? There's a big influence that the environment has on what happens between our DNA and our physical existence. Would you be so kind as to elaborate? Yeah, I, I think one of the problems we've got is we are as technological, as a technological species, this is the, the new religion. We, we are still at a primitive level of understanding life and um, many people, including the people who are driving a lot of the technology, are still of this view that, that we're like a little like mechanical devices. So you have a, a, a genetic blueprint that, that codes for life and, um, and you're kind of born with it and you're stuck with it and whatever book of life you come into this world with that's your lot um, and of course we've understood the relationship between nature and nurture nature it is assumed being your genetic blueprint and the role the environment plays on it um, but but of course we are moving now into a world in which um, during this kind of genomic revolution that we're in the middle of now where we're doing a whole bunch of things the consequences of we can't possibly understand um, and um, a lot of this comes from this notion that we are reliant on, on the genotype and we're increasingly ignoring the phenotype the, the way in which those genes are expressed in the real world and um, you know we know for example from twin studies you can get two genetically identical monochorionic twins who are then exposed to very different environments who then face a very different trajectory in their lives you know um, we've seen many examples of, of one carrying you know normal weight normal metabolism and another going completely down the metabolic disease obesity route for example because of environment um, what we haven't necessarily fully recognized is it's the environment doesn't necessarily leave a temporary imprint it's not necessarily just a reflection of that environment. It, it leaves permanent markers, what we call epigenetic marks, um, on the genotype. And um, so, you know, if we just look at this here, if you imagine, here is the genotype. This is the genetic blueprint. Here is the phenotype, which is how those genes are expressed. This is what we're dealing with in the world. And so we've got to understand what happens here. And this is where, you know, epigenetics plays a really key role because as the environment expresses itself on that genome, through processes like histone modification and methylation, 
permanent changes are made to this genome that you live with for the rest of your life. So when we talk about, hey, it's a good idea to eat a better diet or um, exercise a bit more or manage chronic stress um, or, or prioritize social relationships, um, understand what it is to live in a loving, supported environment. Um, this is not just um, something that makes you feel better while you're exposed to that. It leaves a lifelong impact um, on the way that your genes are expressed over your entire life. So when you look at, um, you know, someone's, if we look at uh, uh, someone's lifetime trajectory in health, by getting stuff right at an earlier time in your life, you can change the course of someone's entire health trajectory um, later on in life. And, um, you know, one of the great concerns we, we, we're reminded of with, with something like monkeypox is, um, you know, we're seeing, for example, evidence that the genome looks pretty much like the West African clade. There are two main genetic variants in monkeypox that has been circulating since 1970. And um, the Central African clade from the Congo area, mainly rainforest areas, has, has not, uh, sorry, has, has been much more severe in terms of mortality impacts. Um, and the West African clade less so. So we're seeing, uh, certainly from the genetics, um, less impact. But what we're also seeing is this phenotype is expressing itself differently in the non-African cases, well over 200 now. Um, and um, so how much of that is just, is it the West African clade? Is it the West African clade that has been modified somehow? Um, and there are many possibilities. We've got to keep a very open mind there. Or is it because it's expressing itself in human beings who have a very different background? Um, epigenetic background because of this so um, it, it's disturbing that it's disturbing for, for for many of us that we are kind of in terms of understanding the disease where we've seen this with COVID we seem to be pushed being pushed down a track where we take less notice of clinical symptomology and yet that the symptoms we see clinically expressed are really a reflection of that phenotype in that environment. So you're looking at the, that genome with the given background exposures to the environment, all of the epigenetic marks that have been placed that control expression that lead to that phenotype. And um, we can end up imposing a treatment on the phenotype that is entirely incorrect. Um, you know, we're hearing, for example, that monkeypox in um, the non-African cases we're seeing at the moment tends to be mild. Well, why are we thinking about ring vaccinating with new smallpox vaccines that have only just gone through a limited amount of trials when the symptomology would suggest that actually the immune system might cope with this very well? And, and what, what the immune system is, has been trained to do over millennia is actually handle a very, very wide range of, of external things we call pathogens but um, that is something of a misnomer as well because the assumption is made that every virus or bacteria that we're exposed to is a pathogen of course it is only a pathogen when 
pathology is actually expressed. And that depends on that phenotype, which is a culmination of the genotype plus all of the epigenetic marks. So um, I think we need to rethink this and, and understand that we're not machines. This is a really, really sophisticated place, but, you know, system that has evolved over millennia. We have to put a evolutionary and systems biology perspective over the whole lot. Wow. So indeed, more more complicated than a big long book of instructions. It's a it's a dynamic, interactive, changing based on our experience. And it's different, you know. It's, it's different even in two people who start off genetically identical. It's going to be different depending on that environment, and so. You know, we were all so excited about what had happened to medicine before COVID came along because there was this huge push towards individualization, personalization, which takes into account the uniqueness of each and every individual. Yeah. What's happened with COVID and what appears to be happening now with the next thing, monkeypox, is that we're going to leave that all behind and we're going back to a much more primitive, top-down one system, you know, one size fits all system of medicine. That is a really backward move if we're truly to help humans optimize their health. Oh, I agree with you 100%. One of the most offensive things for me as a clinician during the, the COVID era is the shift from uh, individualized healthcare to really becoming a, a human processing factory and everyone being processed according to mandates that, that I think not only are untrustworthy, but when you look at the sources, really uh, more nefarious than compassion.